You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for The Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? Thumbs up, everyone? Everyone? All right, perfect. Right on. Well, we're going to be continuing our journey through 1 Corinthians, uh, and we have reached chapter 11 today. And so I'm just going to get right into it. Um, I'm excited about uh, sharing with, with you what God has, has given to me uh, this past few weeks so let's read the, the God's Word. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your smartphones, uh, if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to 16, we're going to read here. And this is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. I commend you, because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions, just as I handed them on to you. But... I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the husband is head of his wife, and God is the head of, tr- God is the head of Christ. Any man who prays or prophesies with something on his head disgraces his head. But any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled disgraces her head. It is the one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or to be shaved, she should wear a veil. For a man ought not to have his head veiled, since he is the image and reflection or glory of God. But woman is the reflection or glory of man. Indeed, man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. For this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man or man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so man comes through woman. But all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head unveiled? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is degrading to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone is disposed to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start today with a big revelation to you all. These verses are difficult to understand. (laughs) Uh, There are a lot of people, like a lot of people, who are a lot smarter than I am, and they have written a lot of books, they have studied these verses, and they also would agree with me saying that these verses are hard to understand. To top it off, these smart people have often come to different conclusions about what these verses mean. (laughs) So, even the Apostle Peter in the Bible says that Paul writes things that are hard to understand. 
when he writes in his second letter in chapter 3, So also our beloved brother Paul wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. Speaking of this as he does in all his letters, there are some things in them hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you are forewarned, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your own stability. So, with this warning, not to be ignorant or unstable or lawless, <laughs> weighing heavily on my mind, I'm going to humbly try to pull out a few points from, these, from this passage so that we can understand it, or at least in part, and apply some general concepts from it to our own lives today. I really would encourage you, though, to read this passage and study it for yourselves. Uh, find some good commentaries. Read those. And then, you know, if, if you come to a different conclusion than I do today, please, let's, let's talk about it. I would love to take you out for coffee. And I'm, I'm not saying that to be proud. I'm, I'm honestly humbly coming to you. I would love to, to learn more about the Word of God. And so as I studied and prepared and read commentaries about these verses I'll be honest, I was a bit frustrated with some of them because there were some who spent a lot of time discussing that this passage was all about women wearing head coverings. And I want to tell you that there's a lot more going on than that. There's a lot more going on than that. And if that's all that we're getting out of this passage, we're really shortchanging ourselves. But for the sake of a good introduction... I was talking to my parents about women wearing hats in church. All right, who, who's experienced this? Who's been to a church, maybe in their past or you know, in, you know, in a different church, that women um, generally or maybe required to wear hats as they are in church? All right, some of us, definitely. Uh, I was, so as I said, I was talking to my parents about this, and both of them grew up going to the same rural church. And it's the one that they still go to. It's the one that I grew up in. And, and my dad remembers uh, when he was a kid, his mom wearing these small little hats to church and actually taking the time to make her own uh, pillbox. I, I hear that's the term that they are called, pillbox hats. Making her own hats to match the dress that she was wearing. I was like, that's, that's pretty incredible. My mom also remembers her mom wearing hats to church. But the story goes that there was a time when my grandma just decided to stop wearing hats. This was not because of some big theological breakthrough, but because she just didn't like wearing hats. And she felt she didn't look good in hats. I don't know what my grandpa thought about this, but my grandma Falk is a... She is quite the lady. I wouldn't want to mess with her either, so... I think Grandpa, in his wisdom, decided, was like, okay. <laughs> so there you go, two different godly women, both of them devout followers of Jesus and two very different outcomes in the same church as to you know, how to follow or what to, 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 to discern what, whatever cultural rule uh, there was in place about hats in church at that point in time. I remember as I was growing up in this church, uh, there was one elderly lady that still wore hats. They were, they were very ornate. I just remember like some of them had little birds. 
perched, like fake birds perched on them. And I thought that was humorous. It really didn't do much for me, but that's okay. I want to ask you some questions, though, now. I want to get your your involvement here. Um, and, And you simply need to raise your hand if you have done these things. So it's kind of like confession time, but in public. You know, just put you at, put you at ease here. <laughs> All right, so men, men, have you ever prayed or spoken in church with your head covered, with your hat on? Please raise your hand. I definitely have. All right, few of us. Women, <laughs> have you ever prayed or spoken at church without a hat on or with your hair showing? I'm looking at all of you right now. (laughs) Men, have you ever had long hair? And then here's the secondary question. How long is long? Like here? Peter, you're down here? Okay. (laughs) So it's a good question. How long is long? Women, have you ever had short hair? hair. Yeah. And then again, the question is, how, how short is short? You know, is it a comparison thing? Women versus men, short versus long? I don't know. So, if you raised your hand to these questions, quite simply, you are a disgrace. <laughs> at least, at least according to this passage, when we take it at face value in our current culture. And so instead of leaving us in this disgraceful state, I would hate to do that, let's try to understand what these verses mean. And we'll start with what they meant in first century Corinth, because I believe that's, that's a good place to start. And so in these passages, in these verses, Paul talks about heads quite a bit. He talks about hair and whether or not it should be visible during church. He talks about men and women, and he talks about husbands and wives, He also talks about praying and prophesying in public, and and it seems to me that he assumes that women are participating in these activities as well as the men. And he asks them to bring, to think about these things and, and how all these topics tie together in a way that is honoring to God. And in the context of the whole letter of the Corinthian church, or to the this whole letter that we've been reading, Paul's main appeal to the church. As it states in 1 Corinthians 1.10, we've studied this a while back, is that they should be in agreement and that they would be united in the same mind and the same purpose. So let's keep that in mind. Paul wants the church to be, as our big poster back there says, united in Christ. Big picture, he wants people to be unified with a purpose to be a family, to be the church of Christ. Not to be divided or to show the world disunity because Christ is not divided. In the context of chapters 11 through 14, which we're just getting into this Sunday, Paul is addressing some more specific concerns in how this church is conducting themselves in the worship services that they are having. And so we'll talk about today about what he he thinks about all the things that we're going to talk about, about the Lord's Supper, about spiritual gifts and how to practice those things. And again, the big idea here is unity and order in worship. 
As it says in 1 Corinthians 14.33, For God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. Or some translations would say, but of order. So when we look at chapter 11, verses 1 to 16, that's what we're going to focus on today, we find that Paul is concerned even, even with how men and women are presenting themselves to one another and to God in public worship. And here's why. The culture of the day in Corinth, just like our culture does today, has certain cultural norms, cultural cues, uh, traditions, and, and common sense that, that everybody, or at least the vast majority of people, would identify with. And they would, they would agree with and they would follow. For us today, you know, one such cultural norm is that generally speaking, when someone is married, they would wear a ring on their, their fourth finger of their left hand. And when we see that, we generally assume that someone is married. Looking between the lines of the letter... As Paul responds to this church, it seems that this church in Corinth, in an effort to portray freedom in Christ, was taking great liberties. Some people were throwing away some of these cultural norms, and in doing so, they were sending messages to the rest of the congregation and to the rest of the city that Paul was warning them not to send. In that culture... Long hair, and it doesn't say how long, but just long hair on a man could mean that he, was hom- that he was practiced homosexuality. Short hair on a woman, and it doesn't again say how short, but it could mean that she practiced homosexuality. When men covered their heads in worship, it res- resembled pagan priests pulling up their toga and putting it on their heads over their heads while worshiping and performing their religious rituals. When women wore their long hair down, it could mean that they were either unmarried or unfaithful to their husbands or involved in a pagan cult. If wives specifically wore their hair uncovered, it could be seen as disgracing her husband. As only unmarried, again, unmarried or a woman of questionable morals would be seen in public with her hair showing. So, Paul is telling the church that when certain things happen that are against what is common and expected in the culture, it can be distracting to other people. And it can draw attention away and honor away from God. It would be like me preaching without a shirt on. Okay, technically it's not sinful, but definitely distracting. (laughs) And not in a good way. (laughs) In verses 4 and 5, when Paul is talking about disgracing his head and disgracing her head, uh, it's not just talking about their own skulls, but the word head can be translated either as authority or source. So by wearing something on his head, a man is not showing honor and respect to his source, which is Christ. As it says in verse 3. Remember, a man covering his head in worship could be seen as a pagan practice. When a woman doesn't wear a covering on her head, 
It shows disrespect for her husband or father, which in turn would show a lack of respect and reverence for God. Now remember, uncovered hair could mean adultery or paganism. N.T. Wright puts it this way, and he puts it rather succinctly. Paul's main point is that in worship, men should follow the dress and hair codes which proclaim them to be male, and women the codes which proclaim them to be female. And I would add to that by saying that they should proclaim themselves to be faithfully married, if that's what they are. And also they should proclaim themselves to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ, not to be mixed up with other pagan cults. When Paul talks about the authority and source of men and women, he's thinking about the creation story back in Genesis 2. And there, if you were to read it, we would find the story of God first creating Adam from the dust of the earth and then breathing life into him. God puts the man in the Garden of Eden and says that it's not good for the man to be alone. And I heartily agree with that. So God brings the man, all the different animals that he has, he has created, and the man names them all. But for the man, there was not found a helper as his partner, as it says in Genesis 2.20. So God has a solution. God causes the man to fall asleep, and while he is sleeping, God takes one of the ribs out of the side and makes a woman and brings her to the man. And Adam responds when he sees Eve in Genesis 2.23, This, at last, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. So when we read in chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, about woman being made from man and woman being created for the sake of man, this is what Paul is referring to. Eve was created from Adam's rib, from his side. And Eve was created because God saw that Adam needed an equal partner to be with him. A leopard or a platypus was not suitable to be his helper. A platypus, it's a lot shorter. So, verse 10 is confusing to understand. We get to verse 10, and the, for, for this reasons, for the reasons that Paul has just outlined, a woman ought to have a symbol of the authority that, well, she either has or that she is under on her head. And why? Because of the angels. What? The angels? Where did they come from? <laughs> I, it's, just, it's just that simple, though. It's just because of the angels. To be honest, I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest, I just, I just don't know. There, again, a lot of commentaries, a lot of different things, a lot of people I was re reading this week had a lot of different things to say about this verse and what this could mean. But believe me when I say, for the sake of today's message, it's okay that we're just going to skip over that part. All right? Again, feel free to study it and then come and have coffee with me. I'll be, I'm happy to discuss it. It just doesn't really come into play today. So let's continue to verses 11 and 12. Because it starts with an interesting word. It starts with nevertheless. This word means in spite of or, or however. 
It seems that Paul is saying that in spite of all that I have just said, here's something else to think about as a church of Christ. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, or man independent of woman. For just as woman came from man, so that was creation, so man comes through woman. All of us have mothers. But all things come from God. Now, at first glance, we might be tempted to think that these verses negate everything that Paul has just said. But I don't think that's what's happening here. Paul has taken the time to command the church to follow the cultural rules of the day so they don't take honor and respect away from God. And what I believe that Paul is saying here is this. We are not just individuals worshiping God. We are a family who needs to think of our actions in relationship to how others perceive them. We are not just individuals worshiping God. We are a family, and we need to think of our actions in relationship to how others perceive them. We are not independent of one another, but we are all interdependent. We all depend on one another. At the end of chapter 10, Paul says something I think that we need to consider here. And sidebar, by the way, the chapter and verse numbers that we are familiar with in in all of our different Bibles, they only showed up in about the 1500s, right? When Paul wrote this letter, he didn't instruct the scribe to start a new chapter every so often. And the reason I bring this up is because sometimes the chapter breaks up the thought. And it makes us think that the previous verses have absolutely nothing to do with what is the topic at hand. And that's not how Paul intended it to be. It just makes it easier for us to find things in the Bible, right? And that is a very practical solution that people in the 1500 came up with. It wasn't a perfect system, though. So in this case here, I do believe that, that Paul's thoughts continue straight through from chapter 10 and onward. All right, so let's pick up, the, I want to read a few verses from right before Uh, Chapter 11 starts. So in 1031, all the way up to 11, verse 1, this is what Paul has written. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, Not to seek my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Remember what verse 12 ended with, but all things come from God. We all come from the same head, the same creator, and we all depend on one another. We are not independent of one another. From the end of chapter 10, we find that we are to do everything to give glory to who? To God, not to ourselves. That means we should not be doing things to bring attention or glory to ourselves. We should not be flaunting our individuality or our freedom, nor should we seek our own advantage, but we should be doing things 
that bring others to God and to bring honor to God. If the church was doing things in their freedom that detracted from God, if they were doing things like wearing a head covering when they weren't supposed to be, or, suppo- or they weren't supposed to, uh, they, you know, when they were letting other people see their hair, when that could have been a distraction, they were not using their freedom very well. And Peter warns of this misuse of freedom when he writes in 1 Peter 2.16, As servants of God, live as free people. Yet, do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. What is evil about this? Drawing attention away from God. Distracting people from the presence of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. That encompasses everyone. Don't offend anyone those outside the church, and those of your own church family with what you are doing. The gospel message is quite offensive enough. <laughs> Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 1, to 25. Go read that again. We studied it a while back. We should not add to the offense by what we are wearing or simply doing because if we're doing them for individual self-promotion. Craig Blomberg puts it this way. In general, one should seek, one should not seek, sorry, to defy social fashion and convention merely as an expression of one's own freedom. To do so is to deny Paul's concern to put others above self. You've probably noticed that I've gone way beyond the culture of the first century Corinthian church. And this goes way beyond women wearing a head covering. (laughs) What Paul is saying is a reminder to all of us to think about others before we think about ourselves. And I I would say this is more than just an idea or a concept that's, that's going around Paul's mind. In 1 Corinthians 8, we hear Paul say that he will never eat meat again so that people won't fall into temptation, if that's what it takes. At the beginning of chapter 11, he literally says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow his example as he puts others ahead of himself. This is Paul's whole life. Would I be willing to give up my preference of wearing black if I heard that it was a hindrance to someone coming to Christ? Would you be willing to give up your right to, well, you you fill in the blank if God is speaking to you, but would you be willing to give that up if it was an offense to someone? Paul spells it out to the church in Philippi when he says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Remember as well that he was saying this in in the context of Jesus going to the cross 
for our interests and definitely not promoting his own interests. Paul ends our passage today in 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen by saying, But if anyone is disposed to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. He's saying to the church in Corinth, as he's saying to us today, don't be contentious. Don't provoke one another. Don't cause arguments or controversy by even the little things. This goes for those, those big theological issues as well, most definitely. But let's take thought about the, the smaller things as well. What messages are we sending with the clothes that we wear in public and to the church? What kind of logos are on clothing that you are wearing? Are we trying to communicate something that draws attention away from God? Are we somehow trying to attract selfish attention by the way we dress? Are we seeking to provoke people's gaze by wearing our hair in a certain fashion? Are we promoting our own interests instead of thinking of others? I'm going to close with this thought. Paul wrote these words to the Roman church in Romans 12, 17, and 18, and he says this, Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is no small thing. It's not like giving a half-hearted attempt to smooth things over with a coworker and then saying, well, I tried. Because Jesus took that phrase, so far as it depends on you, and he went as far as the cross. He went as far as giving himself for us because that was the noble thing to do. Jesus went really far to live peaceably with all. He made peace for the whole world through the blood of his cross.